0: Yes, thank you to all of you who participated and who helped out with that day. It was... An amazing day of serving our community. And we just want to let you know, we do have one more project that we'll be working on that you will see around here over the next couple weeks. So if you come in and it looks like somebody started a painting project in the lobby over the next couple weeks and just left it half done, we know it's a big space to paint. And so we just want you to know as you come in, we'll be doing some updates to our lobby and stuff over the next couple weeks. We didn't want anybody to walk in and be like, wait, what happened? So we're doing good. It is super encouraging though, as I think back over 2023, I've spent some time and I don't know if that time has been just uh, because it's like October and this is what we're supposed to do, like we're reflecting back over the previous year, if it somehow subconsciously hit me that it's been two years since my family moved here, Facebook reminded me of that after I had these realizations that I was in this like reflective mode, or if it is God trying to teach me to be a little more grateful and a little more aware and to slow down and be a little more content, the truth is it's probably somewhere in the midst of that. But as I think through Be the Church Day, as I think through the fact that we've celebrated 20 baptisms this year, as I think through the ways God has worked in the life of this congregation, I I find myself just thankful and pausing for a moment to reflect and to think about that. Think about the things personally I've been working on. Um, been investing in relationships with other pastors in the area to to try to help bring the kingdom of God together. As opposed to competing with each other, we don't have to compete. We can work together and work in unity. And so I'm thankful for the work that's happened. With some of those relationships, I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to know some different community leaders as we network and look at how we help meet the needs and how Great Oaks can help meet the needs of those in our community. And then, uh, you guys know this—you see it week in and week out. But I've I've paused in this kind of reflective moment that I find myself in, and been thankful for the staff that I get to minister alongside of each week. Um, their incredible passions and talents. Uh, humble me in a lot of ways, um, because I don't always feel like I'm the guy who's supposed to be leading them. Thankful. I wonder if you were asked to make your own list about thankfulness, about gratefulness, what would fill our list? When you think back over 2023, would you think about God's faithfulness and gratefulness in the Ups and downs of life. You know, they come and go. We've had those as a church too. And how do we see that? As I kind of wrapped all this up in my own head, I began thinking about what are the themes and what are the ways that we see these things working themselves out? You could probably wrap it up a lot of different ways. But I think for me, it really comes down to one of our core values. It's been that value of uncommon generosity. And I didn't do this, we didn't even have a value of Uncommon Generosity in January when we kicked off the first sermon series of this year. And I don't expect you to remember what I preached on last week, let alone nine months ago or ten months ago. But that first series was called Unstrapped, where we looked at what it means to live generous lives. And I think in a lot of ways that has really impacted the direction we've taken over 2023 as a church. So as we wrap up these three weeks, focusing on service and mission, I want us to close by thinking about God's desire for us to be generous. And what does that mean? Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about generosity, I have a lot of faces and people that come to mind. Maybe the first is a guy named Mike. Mike was an older guy I met in Minneapolis. And Mike had, God had blessed Mike in ways that he doesn't bless everybody. I'm aware of that, but Mike in the 1980s was starting his career. He got his first opportunity, he climbed the ladder, and he became the chief operating officer for the company that he worked for. And Mike and his wife would tell this story about how he received that year for his Christmas bonus $450,000 in his Christmas bonus. I'm like, I'd like to get that over 52 weeks, but in your Christmas bonus, that's crazy. And his, he brought home this check to his wife, and he said, hey, I got my Christmas bonus. And she looked at it, and this is the best part about Mike. And his wife looks at him and goes, you're not worth that. <laughs> she signed the check and dropped it in the offering plate. They never put it in the, they never, it never went in their bank. When I think about incredible generosity, I think about Mike. And that just spurned something in Mike that continued for the rest of his life. You know, after Mike retired, he didn't sit back and, like, get a beach house or a lake house and relax. He found a love for the country of Tanzania, and it was there that he used the ways God had blessed him to start a medical hospital in the country of Tanzania, and now a medical hospital that trains Tanzanians to be doctors and nurses and work in the medical field. That's generosity. Generosity. Above and beyond uncommon generosity. I think about the life of this church. I think about the things that you guys have done. The people who sacrificed and gave so that the building we sit in today could be paid for. The land that we have that we use to love our neighbors is paid for. Because of uncommon generosity of people who either some are still here or have gone before. I think about the uncommon generosity we have every year for 16 straight years. I've never been in a church or a city that had a church that hosts that town's community festival. And yet you have given sacrificially of yourselves to love your neighbors. Uncommon generosity. Some of you have heard this story before, but it's one of those stories that just strikes me, and sometimes you just have to hear stories over and over again, right? You probably won't remember it anyway, let's be honest. It's a story of Mrs. Franklin. Mrs. Franklin was a lady who had MS who I helped get out of bed when I was in college. It was a really fancy job. You went over and you spun her around the bed, picked her up in a, in a wheelchair because she couldn't get up outside of that. And so she hired college kids. And so the kid who did it before me, he was like, hey, I'm leaving. I'm getting ready to go on to my next thing. I need somebody else to go pick up Mrs. Franklin. And I was like, okay, tell me about it. And so he starts telling me about what she'd done in his life. There was a year he thought he was going to have to drop out of school because he couldn't pay for private education, which wasn't nearly as expensive then as it is now, but was still expensive. And he was telling Mrs. Franklin he was gonna to have to find another caregiver for her because he wasn't gonna be able to do it anymore. And she said, what do you owe? And so he told her, and he went back to school that day and came back. And as he came back and he put her back in bed, she goes, hey, there's a check on the table for you. Let me know if you need more. And she paid his entire bill. When I worked for her, she asked me, she said, hey, what do you use my money for? I thought, well, one, it's none of your business what I use your money for. But that's who Mrs. Franklin was. She was super sarcastic, super direct. She was not your loving grandma who was like, oh, it'll be okay, sweetheart. She had a sign in her bedroom at the, where the wall meets the ceiling, and it literally said, what are you looking up here for? Because <laughs> you hung a sign there. I don't know. So I tell her what I'm using her money for, and I was, using, I was sending all of her money home. I had a job on campus that I was using to live on. I'm sending all of her money home to pay for Corey's engagement ring because I had this weird rule. I don't know where this rule came from, but I wasn't giving Corey a ring that wasn't paid for. And she says, well, what do you still owe? I'm thinking, you're awful nosy, but okay, whatever. (laughs) So I told her, you guessed it, I came back and there was the check laying on the table. She said, you need to give her the ring. She puts up with you, she probably needs it. (laughs) She's not wrong. Stories of uncommon generosity. You see, generosity matters. It matters for a lot of reasons, but I think it matters most of all because it's at the heart of Jesus, his ministry, and everything he did. Now, I know some of you are already thinking, okay, here comes the pitch. He's going to ask us to start giving more money to the church and tell us we need to give more, and you're right. <laughs> but I want to ask you to, to stay with me as we dig into God's word because i think you might be surprised by what god's word says and maybe by what i have to say let's pray dearly father god we thank you so much for the ways that you have been generous to us and god i ask that as we read your word this morning we would be challenged not by each other not by me We'd be challenged by you and the truth of your word and what you say to look inside of our own lives and see what generosity looks like for each one of us. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our hearts so that we may feel and open our minds so that we may know. And God, we ask that you speak. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uncommon generosity is birthed from a heart of gratitude. Uncommon generosity is birthed from a heart. Of gratitude. I think that's precisely what Paul is teaching the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, go ahead and pull it out to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. We're going to start in the middle of this letter where Paul has been encouraging the Corinthians to allow the gospel to transform their entire lives and the way they see the world. And now in chapters eight and nine, he's encouraging them to participate in this giving opportunity they have for the Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem. At that time, there was a famine in Jerusalem and the Christians living there were struggling. And so Paul is encouraging all of the churches that he's connected to, to give to this need. But I don't think for Paul, this is about money, but it's about one more way for the Corinthians to experience the transformation of the gospel in their lives. And so Paul says to the Corinthians and to us that the message of Jesus that we proclaim is at its heart a message of generosity and gratitude and that Jesus models that for us. So let's pick up in 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. Now I want you to know dear brothers and sisters what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. All right, just right, let's just pause every just a second. Anybody come in here begging to give today, begging to, hey, take my money, use this. Like, I'm going to be honest, I didn't come in here begging to give today either, and I don't know that I've ever walked into church like, oh man, I hope I hear a sermon on money today so I can just give more, right? That's not, nobody has ever said that in the history of the church, except for this church. They did even more than we'd hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it again. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you have is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you are in need. In this way, things will be equal as the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over and those who gathered only a little had enough. Uncommon generosity is birthed from a heart of gratitude. We can pull lots of things and this, these 15 verses are packed full of information I think we need to think about as followers of Jesus. But I wanna pull out of here five principles that I think Paul is really pushing on to the Corinthians that I think also apply to us. Principle number one is uncommon generosity cannot be commanded. So everybody take a sigh of relief. I'm not going to command you to do anything today. We can all breathe a little easier, right? Some of you are like, no, I like black and white. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it, okay? I don't know that many of us function that way. What Paul is making clear when it comes to money is he's not telling the Corinthian church what they have to do. But he's going to make a pretty strong case as to why giving is the right thing to do. He wants them to give freely because of a need, not out of guilt and shame. And that's exactly what I want for Great Oaks. I think by studying Scripture together, we can build a compelling case for why, as followers of Jesus, we should live lives of generosity, giving to both the church and other organizations. But my heart is that we do it freely, willingly, and cheerfully. Because I think when we do it from that heart and that posture, it does two things for those around us. One it builds excitement. Think about what Paul says about the Macedonian church. If somebody walked in here today and they were like, hey, I've got money and I can't wait to give it and it's going to be so exciting and please let me give. We would all be like, are you okay? Like, Right, and then when we began to hear stories of how God had used that, there would be excitement that came and that's exactly what Paul is telling the Corinthians are happening. Listen, this church has done it and they were spurred on because you did it first. And there's an excitement that's beginning to build. And Paul says, I want you to experience that excitement. Stories of generosity are contagious. The other thing is, He wants them to understand that gratitude is not an act of compulsion. Gratitude comes from an experience with Jesus that builds trust and changes our perspective. It's not about somebody forcing you or making you. It's about trusting Jesus with the resources that he's provided you and then giving them back which actually leads to the second principle he talks about, which is uncommon generosity starts with Jesus. The type of generosity Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians comes from an understanding of what Jesus had done for him. He has lavished grace on us. He has poured it over us. For every mistake we've made, every shortcoming we've had, he has lavished his grace on us. God doesn't sit in heaven or Jesus sit in heaven with an eyedropper of grace. One little drop. Let's just make sure you got got your drop for the day, right? And we don't want to spill any on the ground. No, Jesus lavishes grace on us like a two-year-old pouring a glass of milk out of a gallon, right? You've seen this. They tip it up, And they get there and you're like, oh, I think they're going to pour it for the first time. This is going to work out. And then it tips and it tips and they lose the strength and that gallon flips over and the milk flows out of the cup, all over the counter, down onto the floor. That's how Jesus pours grace into our lives. He doesn't care if it splashes out of us. He actually wants it to come out of us onto those around us. Jesus is the king who throws a wedding feast and invites the entire town to come. I think we can see that in our own wedding feasts. Many of you have been to weddings before, right? And the wedding reception is always a it's a coin toss. What's it gonna be, right? We don't know. Am I gonna get cake and punch? Am I gonna get some hors d'oeuvres? Am I gonna get a big meal? And sometimes, if you've been to enough weddings, you see people get cranky about what's served at the reception. My statement to them is, you didn't pay for it, so get what you get and don't throw a fit, right? Like, we teach this to our preschoolers. It's not that hard, not that big of a deal. But Corey and I had an opportunity one time in St. Louis. We were invited to one of her coworkers' weddings. We had no clue where we were going to. We knew it was on Friday night, and there was going to be no time to eat dinner. And so I, I know that I was hungry when I got to the wedding. So we get through the wedding, we go to this place and we walk in and I kid you not, I've never, never again will I probably ever be at a wedding like this. Never again and never since have I experienced it. But there was a salmon, a whole salmon. I don't even know how big that salmon was, but it was massive. Like smoked and filleted laying there, head and tail on both ends. And you just walked up and it was an all you could eat. That was the appetizer before dinner. And there was an all-you-could-eat buffet of, like, beef. I don't even know what it all was. It tasted really good. And all the trimmings and all the fixings. There was a live jazz combo that played music for hours into the night. And they lavished generosity on their friends. How are we doing at experiencing the generosity of Jesus? Letting that generosity fill us up. Maybe if we're struggling to be generous, we should stop first and look at our relationship with Jesus. Have I forgotten how much grace that he's given to me? Maybe we're struggling to be generous because we're angry. We're angry with God because something we wanted didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And now I'm mad. Maybe there's a sin in our lives that's hindering our relationship with him. And the lack of generosity is really just a symptom of a heart issue that's going on below the surface. Maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe our lack of generosity is just a lack of trust of what God is able to do in that area. And we are looking at Jesus and we're like, I can do it better than you can. Let's just be honest. I don't know, but I think it's worth each one of us investigating in our own lives because Jesus clearly says he came that we may have life and have it to the full. Abundance, not scarcity. And when we experience that abundance, it should pour out of us into those who are around us because uncommon generosity puts the needs of others before our wants. Scripture is full of commands and stories and instructions that tell the people of God to care for those around them. It started in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abraham to be his, his people. And he says, listen, you're going to be my people. And I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to everybody else. And Moses picks it up in the, in the law. And it says there, as he gives the law to the Israelites in Leviticus 23, he tells them, when you harvest your field, don't harvest the edge. And if you drop grain in the field, leave it there, so that those who don't have enough can come and pick up, and the poor will be fed. The prophets have myriads of commands and instructions about how to care for the poor. Jesus in Matthew 25 says that if we're going to follow him, we have to care for the least of these. The early church gathers together in Acts 2 and Acts 4, and they sell everything that they have, the possessions that they have, so they can give to the poor. In Acts 6, the church sets aside special leaders to care for the widows and to distribute the resources that the church has in 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells the wealthy that they should be willing to share, and in the book of James, towards the end of Scripture, he says a religion that is pure cares for orphans and widows. We look at these instructions, and we come back to our text today where Paul is telling the Corinthians they need to give to those in need. Church, the gospel is good news for all people, and it's a message of hope for all people. And so as we see the commands of Scripture all over the pages of it to care for the poor, we need to pause for a moment and look at what we have that we need to be sharing. I don't think it's any secret that Metamora and Germantown are pretty well-off communities. We're not the poor in Scripture. And yes, there are poor among us who live in this community. But for the majority of us, how are we doing at loving and living out faith as generous people to those around us? How are we heeding jesus commands to share what he 's blessed us with to give to those who don 't have? Paul says uncommon generosity is a thoughtful portion. He says to eat to the Corinthians you should give what you can give. This thoughtful portion idea actually comes back and he 's He's kind of hitting at percentages, right? He's like, a portion is a percentage. It's a percentage of what I have. And I think a lot of the church over time has said, well, that should be a tithe, right? And if you've been around the church for a while, we've relied heavily on this advice to give a tithe. And a tithe is 10%. If you haven't been around, it's essentially 10%. The truth is, there is no New Testament command to tithe. It's not there. There are lots of New Testament commands that teach us everything we have is God's. There are lots of New Testament instructions about generosity and about giving and about caring for others. This nice neat 10% thing is an Old Testament command. And if we go by that, Across the board, the church isn't doing so great. This is not Great Oaks. This is like across the board stats from 2023. Tithers make up 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. 80% of American Christians give 2% of their income, not to the church, but to any charitable organization. 2%. Now, I know we can say, oh, but... Jason, it's hard this year. We're in the middle of a recession. There's things going on. I've got to make sure we've got things taken care of. And I get that. We're in the same boat. But during the Great Depression, the average Christian gave 3.3%. 3 out of 4 people who don't go to church make donations to nonprofit organizations. 75% make donations to nonprofit of Christians make donations to any kind of nonprofit. That's it, 5% difference. 37% of regular church attenders don't give money to church. And this one's a little outside of this, but I want you to think about it because I think it makes an impact. Over half of the people who receive an email about crowdfunding campaigns make a donation. Half of us make a donation if somebody tells us a good story in an email and on impulse, give. Paul says, I want you to sit down and think about what you're going to give. It's not impulsive. Just heads up, we're not going to ask for money at the end of service today. It's not an impulsive thing. The best thing I think we can do as people who are seeking to be uncommonly generous is to go home either on our own or with our spouse or our loved ones and say, hey, let's create a plan of what we're going to give. Now, I don't think 10% is a bad benchmark. I think we do some harm when we just throw 10% out. But I think we also equally do just as much harm when we're like, I'm going to religiously live by this. Because some of us can probably live on a lot less than 90% of what we make. I've known a few people. Mike was one of them. Who got to where he lived on 10% and gave 90% away? Some of you are like, I have bills to pay. You know that, right? Yes, I do. And so I want you to start where you're comfortable. Maybe for you that's 1%. Maybe for you that's half a percent. I don't, I'm not as worried about what the percentage is as I want you to think through. What are we going to intentionally give to show Jesus my generosity and my gratitude for what he's done for me? Because the prophet Malachi says in Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me put me to the test. That's God speaking. Try me, put me to the test. Yes, we're back in the Old Testament. Yes, we're talking about tithe. But I think God's saying, and I think the transferable principle is, will we try God? Will we test God? God says, you can test me. And will we make a plan to give something? To be generous with what God has given to us. As you think about that this morning, my questions as we balance that out is, are you giving all you can for the sake of the gospel? And are you doing it cheerfully or begrudgingly? You don't have to answer those questions to anybody but yourself. But how are we doing? Last principle, uncommon generosity is more powerful together than alone. The apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian church, they're not the only ones giving. But he didn't go to individual houses knocking on doors asking them to give either. He came to the church, a collective whole, and said, what are you going to give? I think there's power in numbers. We saw that two weeks ago. If you missed it, there were 275 people who gathered in this room, and the energy was high. There were no seats to sit in. Nobody had to sit down and listen to me lecture for 30 minutes. There was energy and buzz in this room. And when we went out and I got in my car and I pulled out onto 116, I'm driving down 116 and I looked back into the parking lot and I can see the line of cars coming out of the parking lot down the driveway and waiting to turn onto 116, going out to serve our community. There was energy in that room. There was power in the collective. There was energy when we came back and we shared stories of what we'd seen and what we'd experienced. We could have been like, hey, everybody, October the 8th, we're canceling church. You just go serve in your community. And what would have happened? Some of us would have slept in. Yes, I use the pronoun us. There are some Sundays, but my bed feels really comfortable. It might have been me who slept in that day. We would have gone to our routine spot or our pet project or the thing we are really passionate about, and we would have served there. My guess is no one would have gone to the house where we picked up all the garbage and brought it back. And there would have been no corporate energy. There's something about doing things together. Yes, you can, you should give to nonprofits but what happens when we pool the resources of the local church and we trust our leadership? There's a modern theologian who I respect named Caitlin Chess. And on her podcast, she talked about something that I thought was really great as we think about this power of the church coming together and speaking into our individualistic society. She said, listen, when people of God come together and we gather in a place, it's a place where we all find belonging. Belonging. We find a place where we feel like I can have friends. I can fit. I have somebody who's going through life with me. It becomes larger than any of us individually together. In this collective, we become a part of something that honestly is global. There are people meeting all over the world to worship the same Jesus as we come together in this local place and we worship. But it provides a place where we can be active in serving. And we own a responsibility to know what's going on inside of that place as we gather together. And then she says, and when we gather together, we have to say it's not up to me to decide where the money goes. It's up to the collective us and the leaders who we have said we trust and who are praying and passionate about serving God. And it becomes less about my desire and my personal desires get restrained by the people of God. And what's that look like? So some of you are like, well, yeah, that's great because you're the guy on the stage with the microphone. So you're the leader who gets to decide where our money goes. Not even true. One, not true. Two, I can't walk into the admin team and be like, hey, guys, I think we should give 75% of all our tithes to this one organization. They would look at me and be like, well, that's really cute, Jason. We don't think that. You're done, right? That's not the way it works. We don't get our own personal biases through this whole thing. None of us do. We get to work together. We get to submit to each other. We get to learn what it means to love and we get to be a part of something that's bigger than us. That's the power of what happens when we come together in community and fellowship. There's energy to that. There's excitement around that. There's gospel mandate behind that. And so, yes, I think there is a need to give to the local church. And if you're here today and you're like, well, that's great, but I don't even know you. I've heard some things about this church. Okay, here's how passionate I am that you give to the local church. If that's true and you have trust issues with this church in particular, One, I want to encourage you to come talk to one of the staff, one of the LT, one of the admin team about that. Ask questions. Figure out what's going on. We'll be open and honest with you about any of that stuff. Two, as you're building trust here, as you're learning to depend on us, give to another church. This is about the kingdom of God. It's not about Great Oaks. We do I think we do great things. I think we're open and honest with our finances and open and honest with what's going on here. We give 10% of everything you give back to other agencies and organizations. But if you're not at that trust point yet, I would encourage you, start there. See if God blesses you. And if he does, then start thinking about, okay, what's it gonna take for me to trust the leaders of Great Oaks? Because the truth is uncommon generosity is birthed from a heart of gratitude gratitude for what Jesus has done. Gratitude for an opportunity to be a part of a faith community that cares for me, that loves me, and that serves the community we live in. And gratitude that Jesus pours over us so much, it spills out of us in lives of generosity to others. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the ways you blessed each and every one of us. Whether we feel like we're just scraping by or we know we've been blessed. God, thank you for the things you've provided. Thank you for the moments you've shown up and needs were met. Thank you for the history that this church has of meeting needs in our community. Thank you for the generous donations of so many. And God, I pray that as we continue to seek to live out your gospel, to live on mission for you in this place, that you would continue to build hearts of generosity in each and every one of us. Thank you most of all for Jesus for his generous gift of grace. May we live grateful lives as a result. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.